Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is PlushCare. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. The bees flit through the lavender, a blur of black and gold. Roses bloom a crimson cascade down to the river's edge. By the mill, illuminated by the morning sun, lies the moon underwater. I'm Robbie Knox and I'm the landlord of the Moon Underwater, a mystical place where guests create their dream pub. There, uh, D- Del? Dan? Dan, yeah. Dan, that's yeah. it, that's it. Yeah, um, yeah. What can I get you? I'll have the usual. The um, lager, yeah. Lager, lager, uh, yeah. yep. Thanks. I, yeah, I will we'll remember that, we'll remember that. Yeah. So what have, you, what have you up to this this week, Dan? Anything? anything? I have actually. Well, you know I like playing um, hide and seek by myself. Yep. Yep. So I do, the way that works in my new flat in the correct realm is that I hide and I imagine myself oh. looking for myself. I time that, see how well I do, and then hide somewhere else and see if I can okay. beat myself. It's basically. interesting that we're in the correct realm, a place of magic and mm. mystique, and you've still not managed to get a house. You're a flat. Yeah, still a flat, yeah. But, but, the, but, the, but there is magic and mystique in that because I was hiding in the wardrobe yesterday. You'll yeah. remember this because I told you about it yeah. when I came yesterday and had the pint of lager. Yeah. You asked me my yeah. name. Um, and I realised that there was a false back to it and I found one of those special uh, sort of tunnels... Right, that leads directly to the pub. So there's loads of those. There's loads of those. Yes, that's right. This time, there's loads of those in the correct realm. Yeah, fantastic. Well, that's the first one I found, but I, I think there's loads. So. Oh, fabulous, yeah. fabulous, fabulous! Yeah, of course, you yeah, were here last night, weren't you? You were mm. here for the poetry night. I was. You? Yeah. Everyone, everyone loved the poem that you recited. Do you think you could do a little bit of it now? Yeah. The um, what was it called? I've forgotten what it's called. It was the. Uh, it was called. My first love. My first love. That's right. And it was, um, yeah, about about Caroline. Yeah, and it rhymed, yeah, didn't it? It which did. Was one of those, yes. one of those ones. Yeah. Um, it started. My first love with Caroline. Well, that was a hard word to rhyme with. Yeah. As well, so I was surprised that was how it started. I wished that she could be mine. Oh, Caroline, Caroline, Caroline. Won't you join me for a glass of wine? 
It's lost none of its magic in the 12 hours since you were last in the pub, Dan. Very good. Well, um, very enjoyable. Who's that? Who's that in the distance there, Dan? Skipping through the heather towards the pub. I think it it might be leading actor and writer Robin Hintz. Oh, I love Robin Hintz. Oh, Dan, I've just, I, I absolutely loved, I have to admit, I, I, I could just hear, I was almost wooed here, like you were the Pied Piper of Hamlin, yes. hearing that beautiful poem, because I remember your first version where you would go, Caroline, oh Caroline, you'll be mine because I have a tin of Tyne brand mints for you, which I thought was very, very beautiful, and I like the way you broke up the Tyne brand thing, because yeah. I know that you often will use tinned meats or pies. <laughs> I do. I really like to use tin meat on pies in my poetry. Bentos yeah. is so hard to get it a de- decent. Yeah, it's I very... mean that Frey Bentos Mentos thing that you That's did the... felt that it was overly branded. It's about the minty pies. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that was a good one. That one. Yeah. Have you got a favourite uh, tinned meat, Robin? Oh no, I don't. I don't eat tinned meat. No, but no. I always used to love. I, mean, I don't eat meat. Um, but I used to always think. You know, when you would see adverts for Pedigree Chum. Didn't it yeah. go delicious? Yes. Yeah. It really did. That meaty jelly and it would come out of there. And maybe that says more about the kind of cooking that I faced when I was a child. But I would do, because I, I because we never had chocolate around the house. So at Christmas, I'd always eat uh, our uh, epileptic Daxon's uh, Good Boy Chocks. Oh, if you remember Good God. Boy Chocks, which is why I have such a, a, a lavish coat now, <laughs> obviously. No, I, that's true. I my, just... my granddad hated those pedigree chum adverts. He, he would rage against them because at the time they had a tagline that was something like it looks good it tastes good and he would go how do they know do they eat their own dog meat to see it? like how do they know it tastes good Mel Gibson was happy it. with it when he had it in uh, Mad Max 2 yes yeah true I saw something else or someone was it oh I saw a very odd film called Mandibles the other night oh. about two French men who, who find a, a baby sized f- fly in, the bo- in a boot of a car that they stole Wow. Uh, someone, eats, someone eats some cat food in that. That's cool. That's what good. streaming service was that available? It's on Amazon, yeah, and I think it might be on Mubi as well. Yeah. Did you watch it, the whole thing, or did you 20 minutes in go, oh, I'm just going to watch the last 10 minutes now? No, no, no I watched it all. Oh, I, I, I found the director, he also did a movie called um, Deerskin, about oh, a man okay. who buys an old deerskin jacket, and that, that sort of changes his personality a bit. Some very weird but funny stuff, yeah. Yeah, because Subspecies 5 is what I watched last night <laughs> on the uh, whatever channel that is that Charles banned. And, and that, it was that bit where I'd finished doing the work I need to do at 12.30. I went, I'm not watching the whole movie. I watched, I've never watched the Subspecies series before. <laughs> so I'll start at Subspecies 5 because I can imagine you can pick it up even if yeah. you miss one to four. Yeah. Did the first 20 minutes, then did a little bit in the middle. He turned into a vampire. Clearly there's going to be a Subspecies 6 because it's a lot of stuff left hanging. Great. Spoiler alert there. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You've watched the first four, I hold it back to the last. Yeah. Uh, Hasn't it made watching M. Night Shyamalan films so much easier? Yeah. I did that with Old the other day. Yeah. 20 minutes in. No, 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 no. <laughs> last 15 minutes. Well, that was a satisfying 35 minutes. Yeah. <laughs> there is a lot. It's all just the ups and downs in the middle. Yeah, you, can, yeah. you can trim all that out. You need to set the scene and find out what happens at the end. <laughs> so what, what is the twist? Yeah, absolutely. Um, how was your journey through the realms today to the moon underwater? Well, it was beautiful. And I was quite surprised. It's not exactly where I remembered it at all, I suppose, because it's now the summer months as well, with mm. all the blossom that's out, etc. Yeah. And as you said, you know, the lovely lavender everywhere. It, it looks like a different landscape entirely. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. We're here to uh, design your dream pub, Robin. What, what, what are your early memories of pubs in your life? Well, 
I suppose the, the, the first pub was, the, the, there used to be one in the village that I was brought up, in fact it still exists, called the Bedford Arms, and it was one of those ones that did have like a public bar, so there was the fancy bit where the hotel residents would go, and then there was a little corner bar, and that was probably, but most of my memories would be things like the Dragon in, in, in Flaunden, where it was all the stereotypes of sitting in a small car on vinyl seats with a straw, which was now you chewed too much to actually get the Coca-Cola out using it and sharing with my two sisters the one packet of crisps we were allowed. So, so generally they were, they were a dream like who knew what was in them uh, because yeah. you were in the back of a car. And again, sometimes with because I, I I wasn't joking when I said an uh, epileptic dachshund because one of the times that uh, in fact we were let out uh, to go to the pub and we had this little dachshund called Maximilian and uh, and and Maximilian was always under the tiny it was a little Austin something I can't remember tiny little car and uh, and the dachshund would be would be under the back seat would under the the passenger seat and then halfway through the journey my sister went I don't think Max is under the seat and, and he popped out of the car being placed uh, next to an Alsatian by a kindly uh, girl who found Max wandering around and that had led to Max being uh, quite ill for the rest of his life but uh, oh. beautiful long haired Daxon so so that also obviously oh. there is I, I didn't mean I know in terms of the narrative of a podcast I've gone with the level of melancholy a little bit too early <laughs> over how, how a pub led to the destruction of Maximilian but Maximilian was resilient a wonderful um, recovery then from, from Maximilian yeah. and, and, and a pub is a place for melancholy and joy so all is all is welcome within the the four walls of the moon and underwater um what age did you start going to pubs well it's really annoying actually because until i was 18 i looked really young so it was very hard to get served in any pubs and then the moment i turned 18 i looked really old (laughs) so i've never had an advantage of looking aged and and that was kind of so so the main pub the first I mean I would have gone to pubs kind of I, I think the first one would have been the Red Lion which is also in the, in, in the village that I was brought up in and that would have probably been about 16, 17 I wasn't very I wasn't an early uptaker of, of, of booze um, and that was just you know, the local where you knew everyone there and it was quite traditional it's still there now actually it's just been done up and it's been done up really nicely um, but yeah that was my first kind of experience of pubs and then well, in fact, in fact, another experience of pubs really would have been the fact I've, I've lied to you. Everything I've told you is, is a terrible <laughs> lie. But again, due to this being an all-well-based po- uh, podcast, I want everything to be a victory over your own memory, much like it was in 1984. Um, but it's uh, anyone listening, by the way, yeah, I was diagnosed with ADHD, and it was no surprise to anyone. And it was, um, but it was, uh, but of course, I started going to comedy clubs when I was about 16 and just watching, and so that was a thing. I don't think anyone imagined, you know, so. so I, it would have been, there was the Chuckle Club, which I think was at that point in London, Rathbone Place, very near the Wheatsheaf pub, which is a lovely old pub, uh, where I once saw John Hurt drinking. And and it was when, because I think John Hurt then really calmed down, but he really was, he was very like kind of, you know, the fast show character uh, at that point. And I, and I was a huge fan of, of, of John Hurt. So so it was like places around there, uh, the, the Wheatsheaf, I think it might have been called the Black Horse. Um, and then my drinking would have also been in the old subterranean comedy store as well, the second comedy store. So, so a lot of my drinking would have already been comedy related. Well, I'd just go on my own to watch these comedians. No one else wanted to come with me. And I'd see all these people like Phil Cornwall and Jeremy Hardy and Claire Dowie and Kit Hollerback and and uh, so that also it was very it was very connected. And then I had a kind of long period of not drinking that much. My my friends Carolyn and Heather, who kind of they're slightly older than me, and and I, when I became friends with them, they, they're both of them a teetotal. 
so that became a lot of the kind of most of the cafes that aren't there anymore you know so it was hummus and it was mushroom pate and all that kind of thing Nice, nice, lovely. It seems more popular teetotalism these days, as it well, is. doesn't it, amongst the youth? Yeah, 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 yeah. I think I, it's interesting, isn't it? Because I do think. I mean, there are so many great pub, pubs have worked very, very hard. I think to get, but, but you're right. Now it's kind of been be, being swapped for other things as well. Yeah, the gym. Yeah, like yeah. Mm. the gym. When I when I was when we were younger, I think people did go to the gym to work out, but it was people who did sports. It was kind of sort yes. of like cheating to just go, just. <laughs> for fitness only there's got to be another reason attached to it because you're good at a different sport yeah, yeah. well I find that I find the thing a bit weird because when I, when I tour with, with Brian Cox I do these kind of science tours with him and when we're on tour we have to go to the gym every single day and which is a good idea because when you're kind of just getting on planes or you're getting on trains or, mm. or, or you know whatever it is um, then having that hour or hour and a half and the first time we actually didn't go to a gym we went up to the moors outside Manchester with a huge piece of rope that we were then going to have to sling around of various weights and I was dressed in my full gym gear uh, which was my jeans and just like some band t-shirt from 1987 and and afterwards Brian was like I don't understand it how did I thought that would destroy you how come it hasn't destroyed you I said because I don't need to go to a gym because I spent I, I walk around the whole time like when I came to do this now when I got to the moon under the water as you'll know on my back a huge back a huge rucksack containing loads and loads of books and then throughout the day I will visit more and more bookshops and then I'll be laden down with those so I always I nearly died in the river Derwent recently because I went down one of those footpaths which when you then get to the height of the heights of Abraham, you go, oh, they've now put a sign saying this is not a footpath. Well, the Greeks, this is too late for it now. I've had to climb through a tree. So I've always, so I've actually got this, this core strength that comes from my bibliomania, you know. So I've always found, so, so he was really shocked. And then if I can ever lift the same as him, he's furious because he's been trained, whereas I'm just an avid reader. Yeah. You know, so. There we go. They don't talk about the muscle building power of books. No. <laughs> We need to design, get onto designing your dream pub now. And your first choice you have to make are two drinks to be on draft in your well, be underwater. I would, I mean, I do really like Guinness. And, and I think, again, as someone who spent a lot of time touring around and eating very badly, all of those cliches of the alibi that you're having some kind of, it's really a form of porridge or other high fibre, uh, which just happens to have been turned into an alcoholic drink. And I, and I like Guinness. And it, it's the only slow drink I have because I do get quite frustrated now that some pubs do fancy cocktails. I do think there should be two separate lines. One yeah. says, I'm ordering a thing that just gets poured. Yes. And the other says, I'm making some kind of statement that requires a level of ritual and shaking, which will delay everyone else. And I think that's, you know, so you have simple drinking and you have complex show off drinking. Mm, um, obviously, yeah. I would actually ban all of that. I, I, I might have leapt. I don't know if I've leapt to the things I'm going to pass. Five, five, I, th- I, th- I think I would. I, I like so, so. So I would. Guinness is the slowest drink that I have. And, and I just, and I love Guinness and I, I am a big Rutger Hauer fan as well. And, uh, you know, and the bloke who made Sexy Beast as well. What was his name? The guy who's a great director. Ben, no, Ben Kingsley was in it. No, Ben Kingsley, <laughs> yeah. That's one of my favourite things. I know I probably can't. Well, I'll tell you anyway, right? Which is, I once got rung up by my agent and uh, they said, only once, literally, that's how badly my career's gone. I've been once <laughs> rung up by my agent. And, uh, and they said, would you like to do a panel show? Um, and I said, well, what kind of thing is it? They said, well, they want you to be a team captain for a series. And I said, who would the other team captain be? And they said, Katie Hopkins. And I did the full Ben Kingsley. No, 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 no,
and I did that like for, and, and then they went, that's a no then. And uh, fortunately, they knew the context. And then later on, they said, yeah, it was going to be for Russia today. So I think I made okay, yeah, a, a valid choice. But yeah, but his, yeah, Jonathan Glazer. Glazer, yes. yeah, Jonathan Glazer. And of course, he did the, the famous Guinness advert with the, the horses coming out of the foam. And before that, he had Rutger Hauer doing this kind of, you know, uncanny gothic character. But yeah, I, 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 I like Guinness a great deal. That's for me as a kid growing up. It was you know you shouldn't really say this, but it was definitely an appeal of Guinness was yeah. their amazing ads, and I can remember sort of having it and not really liking it, but eventually forcing myself to drink enough of it that I would like it because it felt quite cool. Yeah, it's because I can't of really the advertising, lager anymore. I, if I no. look back now, like I might occasionally drink it in uh, you know at a festival or something like that. But I think there's there's a certain point where you go, there's enough of that now, mm. and and so that was that's why I'd go with Guinness. And your thing as well about the the sort of the the food element. I was in uh, Berlin when I was seventeen or eighteen on a trip, and there's a group of twelve people from a couple of schools, six male, six female, and some of the some of the group did not enjoy uh, the German um, cuisine. And so every day it got to the evening and the food that they were serving us, was, they decided it wasn't very nice. So they'd just have a pint of Guinness because they said, that's basically I'm eating a steak. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That was, it, was, it, was, it was a replacement for an evening meal, a pint of Guinness. Also, Guinness has a reminder of something that I thought was a really lovely thing that I heard uh, about the difference between falling off a bar stool in Dublin and falling off a bar stool in London. This is obviously very broad strokes, what I'm going to say, but someone said the difference is, and I think this is a, a great philosophy for existence, if you fall off a bar stool in London, people go, ha ha, you fell off the stool. And if you fall off one in Dublin, someone goes, oh, I did that last Monday. And I think that bit of going banter or empathy, yeah. and I love that. I think that, 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 that way, when, you, when someone makes a mistake, and you find a way of rather than goading from the mistake, or, you know, offering a metaphorical or a real hand up. And so I like it kind of the connections of those things as well. That's lovely. My Guinness drinking is limited to Ireland. I don't mind. I don't mind it as a drink. It's fine. But I will go if I'm going to Ireland. I will just embrace it and and do do what I'm I'm supposed to. And I have drunk it in the UK as well. I can't tell the difference. I know everyone's always says, "Oh, it's you know, Guinness in Dublin." I can't. Can you? I haven't never been to Ireland. Oh, amazingly. <laughs> Have you got any experience, Robin? I, of- I think talking to to people in Dublin, there's a sense that there was a time that you'd have really noticed the difference, right? But like so many things in this world, things have got you know broader and broader and broader, and the the nature of that you know expanding means as you know because you always hear that kind of oh it was amazing I got there right and you get a pint and you can literally turn it upside down for about three <laughs> seconds before it even comes out. <laughs> you know, it's got so anti gravitational property and all yeah, of that yeah, kind yeah. of stuff. And now if you do that, you just end up with very wet trousers. <laughs> so yeah. Yeah, I was. I did last month. I had a pint of Guinness, and I could see the Guinness factory out the window of the pub. So I was thinking, this has got to be as if that is real. This has got to be as good as it's yeah. going to get, really, across the road. Yeah. See, that's the disappointment I sometimes find in Edinburgh, because Edinburgh, where you just like, I, I still have the first time that I went there as an adult when I was eighteen. Again, went up to visit the the, the Fringe Festival, see all these amazing things, and that smell of hops that when it's picked up and when it when it manages to roll all the way down to Edinburgh Waverley. And you'll never actually taste a pint, I don't think, in Edinburgh that's as good 
as the sensation. It's almost like, looking, you know, when you look in a cream cake shop yeah. and you're walking through it and, and it's so ornate and you imagine what it must be like, but it's never going to be quite, the, the, the beauty is the moment of the imagination. Yeah, yeah, very yeah, true. Yeah. Okay, so Guinness is making it into the moon underwater. What's very your popular choice. Very popular. I'd say the most popular, yes. I believe. Yes. Um, you need some kind of stato type. I do, yeah. <laughs> I, know I know it's been picked over 40 times. Okay. I'll, I should have the exact stat. Right. Right. Okay, yeah. good. Well, so, something for you to work on in yeah. performance. Thanks. Yeah. Um, <laughs> what's your second uh, draft choice, Robin? Well, I've picked Ghost Ship because um, Ooh, yeah. I like... I mean, what I would... In some ways, I would say if I was going to have... It would be a local bitter. That's actually... But, but that would obviously have to change in each locality and that would then take a very, very long time for us to manage to achieve that. So I picked Ghost Ship just because I love that part of the United Kingdom. Uh, I'm a big fan of M.R. James and all those kind of ghost stories and stuff like that. And, I, and I've, I've had a few times that I've been doing book festivals and things like that. And you sit down and you have Ghost Ship and it just... And, it, and, I, and I, like, I like the taste of it and I like the ghost of it. So it's those two kind of things. And, I, and it is very much the geographical connection to... I think they brew it in is it in Southwold or somewhere so, like yeah, yeah. yeah. and uh, and and so that I just it's it's the that I immediately think of I forget the nearest station to Southwold but it's it is exactly how it should be for a ghost story it just seems to be like a single platform with no other clues of existence <laughs> and I remember arriving there about eleven o'clock at night and then eventually there was the dark figure there then the shadows of the man who was going to drive me to Southwold you went I was expecting a woman you know so then so like that was his first line to everything and then, and, and then he drove at incredible speed and was going the great thing about oh look out for those ducks over there and I, th I was like what you know every Everything was chaotic, everything was wrong, and therefore everything was entirely correct for that area of uh, Suffolk. Well, I, I live in Norwich, so Ghost Ship is a regular, um, regularly spotted in, in the pubs around me. And what I also love is they do a very good alcohol-free 0% or 0.5% maybe is Ghost Ship. But I will sometimes, if I'm out for an afternoon or something drinking, I might pop one of those in every three or four pints just to mix it up. Keep yourself going. Yeah. If it's your round, go to the bar. No one notices. This is not if you're in a group of people where there's that's going to be an issue. <laughs> no one notices. You can carry on going, and it and it tastes pretty much the same as the other one. Yeah, so, you're yeah, right. That's a really good idea, actually. Yeah. Even not not even that bit of being judged by you. No. You, you do the people you're hanging around with. You've got to stop hanging around with them. No, they're I judging don't. you <laughs> too much, and you don't deserve to be oppressed. You here's this beautiful pub surrounded by lavender and everything that you've created with that. And the honey that you've been selling recently as well, mm. which also has a lovely kind of lavender piquancy. The, am I overdoing the method? No, thing? no, not at all. Good. Not enough. And, anyway. uh, <laughs> but I love Norwich. Is what a great place to live if you love pubs because it's there are so many fantastic. I love Norwich. Norwich is one of my favourite places. Well, I always find that I say somewhere's a favourite place to play, but I love almost everywhere that I play because I always find interesting pubs and interesting people in them. It is fabulous. Dan and I met in Norwich. Went to uh, University of East Anglia um, together. Um, so he also knows it very well. But yeah, there is there are is an incredible sort of mm. pub scene. Yeah, very um, nice. I, it's my. They always used to say that they that Norwich had fifty two churches, one for every week of the year, and three hundred sixty five pubs, one for every day. It's not that anymore. But there was a time, I think, in the maybe the late eighteen hundreds, where there was over there were over six hundred pubs in Norwich. Wow. And obviously, it was a smaller place than it than it than it is now. So there certainly are a lot of them around there. But what I want to do one day is I want to maybe when I retire or something I will just spend my life documenting each pub and having a pint in each one of the pubs and working my way through every single pub of Norwich a whole city it's a yeah. great idea 
A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board certified physicians who can prescribe FDA approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. Robin, you co-host one of my favorite radio shows, Infinite Monkey Cage. I like it for many reasons, partly because I feel simultaneously intelligent and stupid. I listen to it. Intelligent because I'm listening to a science thing and stupid because I realize how little I know about the world. Have you learned much about the world of alcohol from that? I seem to remember an episode a while ago um, where you were discussing wine and why wine oh, tastes. Oh, I wine. love doing that at the Wine Centre in Adelaide in Australia because that was such an interesting, because this is so counter-instinctual, which is for anyone listening to this and for both of you, I think, you would really believe that if you were given a glass of red wine and you were blindfolded, you would know it's red wine. There seems to be such an enormous difference between the kind of clean crispness that you know of, of white and then that kind of that darker that, that that sense that the red is kind of slightly just you know staining your teeth is drinking. But remove the visual cues and it's really, really hard to tell the difference. And that was great because Brian Cox is a he's a big wine fan. He's a bit, you know, he really loves his wine. And it's one of those annoying things. You know when you just want to drink and it takes him like <laughs> 73 minutes with the wine way to go, can you just check on the frequency of that? Okay, there we go. And uh, and so this is a trick, by the way. If anyone here, anyone listening thinks, how do I look like I know anything about wine? All you do is whenever you uh, drink in white wine, you go, hmm. Oh, I'm getting buttery mash. And is anyone else getting a bit of burnt caramel? That's it, buttery mash and burnt caramel, once you're there. Um, and so we did the thing. We, 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 we had a bunch of wines, and they were decent wines as well. And we had them in glasses that we, there was no visual cue. And no one, even the scientist who actually has a vineyard, didn't quite get it. And, wow. and I remember Brian being really kind of like, no, no, oh, no, 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 the reason that I know, because you see, I said, and I was like, this is, we're doing a show about the male ego next time. He couldn't just accept that, remove the vision. And I love that. I mean, I love things like that because they remind you that everything you experience is experienced through the lens of your subjective experience and expectations of the world. Yeah. And once you start doing that, once you increase the amount of doubt and you just go, well, do you know what? The number of pointless arguments we have with people because we say, no, that's not what happened. And you go, sometimes we just have to accept. I don't, by the way, mean this in terms of the levels of uh, the efficacy of vaccines, etc. I'm talking <laughs> very much about our everyday experience. We need to take into account 
the level of, 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 of how our own experiences have, has painted the world and shaped the world for us. And I, and I love stuff like that. But that, that was really fun doing that. And, and it, was, it was very funny to see who was... Because I just find it really exciting. I, I, I love things like that. When you find out you're wrong... And it, but it educates you. Yeah, that's the. Perfect, I mean, that's you know when you were saying, you know that that feeling stupid. And of course, I you know twenty times a year or more. You know, we're doing shows, and I'm sat with people who are theoretical physicists or <laughs> epidemiologists or people who are cutting edge of genetics. And that bit, it's so exciting. If you don't worry about being wrong, and you don't worry about the fact, that, oh my god, that that guy said something, and I don't know what it means. If you just go, I'm in for a ride here. And that's it. And, and, and you just pick up things and you don't worry about being able to do the final exam. You just go, oh, I've got much better questions that I've worked out in my head for the final exam. That's what it is about. That bit of going, it's not about coming to answers. It's about finding new questions. And that's, that's what I love about doing that show because every single series I meet someone, well, much more than one person who I just go, wow, that's blown my mind. That is mm. really. And then the next day, like when I was out in CERN, which is, have, you, have you ever been to CERN? No. It's amazing. It really is. It's it's, it's like it, it's up there with like when you if you go. I remember once when I was like nineteen, seeing the Grand Canyon for the first time, going around the corner of the road, and then suddenly there was the Grand Canyon, and it just goes zoom. It is an instantaneous transcendent moment, right? And going a hundred meters down. And then walking out and you see basically the incredible engineering that allows subatomic particles to be sent around at speeds near that of light colliding and all of those things. You just go, it is a proper, it's, it's like, you know, Keanu Reeves in The Matrix. Woo! It's, it's <laughs> that moment, right? And, and that's how, and, and that day I'd been thinking, uh, not that long before, we'd done a, a, an episode of Monkey Cage about mycorrhizal connections, which are all these connections under forests, all of this kind of communication that seems to be going on with all of these different strands of life. And then suddenly when, I was, when we were driving from bit to bit, I'm looking at the pylons and thinking of the electrons. And then I'm looking at the farm that's beneath it, thinking of what's going on there. And then I'm looking at the woodlands and I'm thinking of all of the connections and the communication that's going there. And then I'm thinking 100 metres further underground, all of the communication and the connections. Go. And so that's the thing that I think is the most important bit with any form of communication of ideas is, has it changed the picture of the world today? Are you now? It's like we've got a wall behind us here. And I got, I don't know why when it happened, but in Darlington Station... I was, uh, there's a wall that you'll often enjoy looking at because your train's delayed. And it's a <laughs> huge wall that was built in the 19th century. And you look at the design of it. And I suddenly had that moment of just thinking of all the different hands that had gone into putting that wall together. And all of the different thoughts that had gone into designing that and making the bricks. And so suddenly, you're not just staring at a wall. You're staring at, it's like the block universe. You've gone kind of, you're seeing lots of different layers of time. You're seeing all of those things. And that's to me what I, I, I want to do with the world the whole time. And that's what the other shows that I do. Uh, and, I, and I mean both coming on to shows and creating shows and everything. I want people to leave and go, oh, things are different to the way that I thought they were. Mm. And, and I feel, you know, whether it's sometimes about mental health, sometimes it's about, it's about the nature of the universe or the Big Bang. That bit that goes, the stars look different for me today is a beautiful thing to happen, I think. Yeah. Fabulous. Sounds Fabulous. like I've been drinking now, doesn't it? Yeah. <laughs> well, no, not at all. But we, we do have to go back to the drinking now, which is your selection of bottles. Two bottles for you to put in the middle of the water. Uh, bottles are hard for me because the main thing that I would drink from a bottle would be red wine. 
So, but I presumed that wasn't. I presumed it was individual bottles. So it's whatever, it's whatever you wanted. To oh make. right, well I might change my opinion now then. But mm. I am going to say top deck shandy because <laughs> I think top deck shandy. We were talking before about those moments of nostalgia. You know, there is a Proustian rush again of maybe the first time you were still made to stay in the car on the hot vinyl seats, but mum or dad allowed you to have a can of top deck. Or maybe you went to a Maid Marion mm. supermarket. There were many of those around Devon and Cornwall, as far as I remember. You know, one of those supermarkets, if you were brought up in a city, when you then went, you're like, what's this strange? We've never seen it. It's like seeing your first spa or something like that. And and Top Deck, to me, has the Proustian rush of, of, of a holiday where my... In fact, the one that just came back to me at that moment was my dad uh, screaming at his car as he realised he'd locked his keys inside it while we drank Top oh. Deck in the corner and went, let's just not get involved. <laughs> Right in saying there was a because I have vague memories of pubs when I was a, a, a kid that there was a time when children weren't allowed in pubs. Was that what it was? That was some that pubs did yeah. not. Yeah, that was the rule. Yeah, yeah, there were they weren't a child friendly space. Yeah, you know, some of them would have there'd be those exciting ones that had a little garden that you could play. In. I remember yeah. going yeah. in beer gardens, but I don't ever remember going into actual pubs. Was that was that I a rule? Was that my, just a sort of they weren't keen on kids? My dad used to get, go in. And say, well, I'll see. You might have to go in the garden, or you might have to wait in the car. Yeah, yeah. But it go, I'll go in and say, we've got one here. It'll be really quiet. It'll sit quietly in the corner. And sometimes they'd say yes, and sometimes they'd say no. That was it. it was like, yeah, I think I don't know if it was that it was it was a legal thing, but it was just it was pubs just didn't. I think they thought clientele didn't really want kids in there. I always remember Devon seemed to be the place where everything changed. I mm. remember going for a holiday down near Coombe Martin. And it felt that it was very much connected to the fact that you were going to now eat food that was in a basket. That once food was available in a basket, <laughs> yeah. then... This changes everything. Then, then, yeah, that somehow the children now allowed in due to this. Yeah. Uh, um, but that, yeah, I think you're right. And, and also, I mean, the Red Lion that I mentioned, the guy who ran that for, for 40 years or whatever, he didn't allow kids in. No. You'd have to have a, a special... Uh, like, even a few years ago with my son, it was like, oh, can, I, can we... Yeah, yeah, it's all right. You can sit in that area there. Yeah. yeah, my son, my middle child Otto, he lo- he loves going in pubs, and he will he'll where we used to live, he'd be on like good terms with the barman. He'd walk in, he'd go, all right, Otto, and he go, all right, Andy, <laughs> chat away, and I just chat like this. It was like an old man who'd been there all the time. You're like, see you later, Otto, see you later, Andy. And this, and he was like six at the time or something. But so it's, it's definitely very different. It's str- every now and then you do come across a pub that just doesn't let kids in occasionally, sort of thing these days, whereas it seems to have completely gone. The other way, I guess. Yeah, yeah. I, I think it is the food thing, isn't it? Because yeah. I think that is what changes it. Because I guess loads of pubs, most pubs now will do food. Most. I mean, one of the pubs that I'd pick as my top pub is a pub called The Rising Sun that's just on the canal, just near Berkhamsted. And that's so beautifully run. And it is a non-food pub, really. Mm. I, you know, you can get crisps. And, and it does mean that children will sometimes be playing outside, which is, of course, very dangerous. It's right. In fact, one of the things... Should I mention this? But, right, it's my favourite pub in the area because it is a pub pub. And yeah. the two guys who run it, they have a lovely sign outside which says that you mustn't come into the pub uh, if you have COVID, racism or homophobia, <laughs> right? Which is a nice kind of start as well. And uh, and they just, yeah, it, it, they whenever they used to do their fireworks on November the 5th, you know where you just went, health and safety is totally yeah. out the window. And I think they may well be aiming some of these rockets 
at the pub that's across the way, uh, which is a lot more of a kind of foodie pub. I feel that there's a, a, a level yeah. of kind of piratical behaviour that's going on. But the rising sun is that that's you know, and it is. You just see the way that people sit in there and the way they talk, and that the, the, it, it is. I'm glad that a pub like that can still survive. It just says we're pub, and we, yeah. and we just do do booze and we do lots of local ales, and they're always changing stuff like that. Yeah, yeah. My, my, and and this village that I used to live in in, in Kent, in Ainsford, the the pub that I preferred out before there was the one that the only one that didn't do food. So mm. I think it was a proper sort of boozing pub. I mean, you get your scampy fries and all that sort of stuff, but but yeah, it was just a dedicated drinking pub. Yeah. It's that thing that roast potatoes placed on the bar on a Sunday. Yeah, yeah, that's 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 what you like the, the local football team to have yeah. doing stuff. Um, yeah, fabulous. Okay, so top deck makes it in, in there. Um, have you had a top deck of, of late? I've not had one deck? for a while. I did have a, a, a shandy the other day, a bitter shandy, which I'd not had for a long time. And it was like I was between gigs, and I don't really like drinking now before a gig because when I first started, Aranji Boom. In fact, it was it was a if you remember the oh, Dutch yeah. line, yeah. and the, and there was a wonderful club called Aranji Boom Boom, and uh, <laughs> I think it was on Macclesfield Street, just outside Chinatown in London, and uh, all pictures of windmills all over the wall, you know, all of that kind of stuff. Um, and I'd have two pints. I went on because you'd be so nervous that two pints the adrenaline would would knock out the effects of the alcohol pretty much and it would it would you know much like Bill Werbeneck it would reduce the tremors but you wouldn't I think Bill Werbeneck the snooker player had to have 36 pints a day something like that (laughs) and uh and then I found I suddenly went oh my timing's not as good because I wasn't as scared so I went down to one pint and then eventually I went no pints no pints before you go on but when I was comparing gigs I could drink that bit you go on without having a drink. And then, because I remember Arthur Smith once saying, who's pretty much teetotal now, but Arthur Smith used to say, you should always be one pint less drunk than your audience. But I really <laughs> think that depends on how drunk the audience are to be yeah, 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 yeah. point with. And you need to get a mean average as well of, you know, that. but but I, I, I so, so that's when I, dr- I drink shandy. But I've not had a top deck for a while, but mm. I, I hope it's still uh, available in whatever fantasy made Marion shop might exist. You know, like Brigadoon, it appears on the edge mm. of Dartmoor every five years. <laughs> It's interesting that not drinking before shows, because I'd always, I've, I've never done a startup, which may not be a shock to anyone, um, but we did a tour for a different podcast that I do earlier this year, and I asked, um, we were asking Lloyd Griffith, the comedian, his advice for us, and he said, don't drink before a show, and I was thinking, what, not, what was he, not, not, even, not even to relax, and he goes, he goes, does it, re- does it relax you or does it make you forget stuff? And his argument was, which I get, is name one other job where you would tell someone to have a drink to relax. Like if you're having, if you're having a heart surgery, don't you look a bit stressed about this doctor? Have a, have a drink, or if someone's driving you, don't oh, London traffic. Have a little drink to take the edge off. And, it, and I and I I get it. And then I was I was talking to um, a friend Andy, who, who's the guitarist in Travis, Andy Dunlop, and he was he was saying he he wasn't drinking at the time because they're off to do the album and all this sort of stuff. And, uh, and we were just discussing drinking and shows, and he says you drink for you, not the audience. And he was saying, it's fine if you want to, but be honest about it. Don't don't claim yeah. that you're doing it to try and become better or more relaxed. It's just not, it's just not true. Yeah, it's no, I, 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 I would tell you, I, I want to be able to use my brain in, in many, as many ways as possible. When I'm, when I'm on stage, I want every show to be different. I, I mean, I think what you can do is you can reach a stage. If you're doing the same act that you've done for 27 years, you can drink. You can drink as much as you want because you know that act so well. 
and it, but it also means that I think you're kind of a bit dead inside then. <laughs> yeah. You know, because it's, it's like, years, so if I had a choice between, do you know what? You could drink as long as you do the same act forever. No. Yeah, but I've seen you, Robin, and you definitely couldn't do the same no, act. No, I, I, I twice I in a row. Yeah. I even found the other night, I was do, I did four events at the Also Festival. And the, I, I had my last solo show until 11 was finished at 7.15. And I just had one cider. And I still wish I hadn't. I drank it very, very slowly, but it's like, and it might, but I was also tired, but it's like, no, I want everything to work. And I think there is that bit that the older you get, you go, there's people who paid money. It doesn't matter. And in fact, it doesn't even matter if they haven't paid. Even if I don't care what the show is, I want people to have the best time possible. And I, and, and I want also to come off and go, oh man, good, good. Oh, I came up with that weird. I, if I don't have it, I get very cross. Mm. Yeah. Fabulous, I agree. I've, I've used it to sort of get ideas for writing. I did I, years ago as a as a. I didn't do this regularly, but I was trying to write something and I was just stuck for weeks. It wasn't like my full time job or anything. It wasn't a major issue, but I eventually I went right. I'm going to get drunk and I just sat there with a gl- bottle of red wine to see what happened. Did it, it, did, it did clear the blockage. I, I managed to move on, but I mean, I don't think. But I, th- a, I think that's that's, thing that's is, a different yeah. thing. Of that was like going right. How do I get past this thing? And then, and there are it. certain exceptions. The trouble is that people read about someone like Hunter S. Thompson, or about you know the great writer Alan Moore. But you go, those are quite unique brains mm. in the way that they are able to whatever they do digest the chemicals and keep those neurons firing. Don't believe you know. I always think it's sad that some people think maybe if I keep drinking as much as Dylan Thomas drank, then eventually <laughs> yes. I'll write something wonderful. And you go, <laughs> the drink wasn't what made yeah. Dylan Thomas a yeah. genius. Yeah. Yeah, you know, that that yeah, yeah, it, yeah. It, I I don't, and I think some people really fall for that kind of fantasy that the alcohol plays the part in the creativity. Whereas yeah. I, I I you know it, it it might do, but the creativity has not come from mm. the alcohol or the drugs or whatever no. it will be. The creativity was there already. Yeah. Sometimes it might be needed there to loosen it, but don't don't think. Oh yeah, what if I'm if I'm a drug addict as well? Then I'll, then I'll <laughs> yeah, yeah. it's just not yeah, it's not gonna work. No, yeah. absolutely not. Leaving Las Vegas. Every time you yeah. think that, watch Leaving Las yeah. Vegas, and and then read the real life story of the guy who wrote it, and you go, yep, that was not ultimately performance enhancing. That was death. Uh, <laughs> yeah. That was enhancing. <laughs> yeah. Okay. What's what's accompanying you in your bottle or can? For um, with along with top deck, um, my second it would be woodpecker cider, right? Which is not my favourite cider, but again, I think it would be as a punishment because I would drink it and think, oh my goodness, when I was fourteen years old, this was the pinnacle of drinking. Yeah. This was the finest achievement. This was the taste you would wake up to the next morning <laughs> oh, as you looked yeah. at your pillow and the detritus <laughs> that had been through your stomach having returned. You know, so I would, I would like again that that would be a warning to myself. That would be me seeing myself as a fourteen-year-old. I mean, actually, I quite like cider. Again, at festivals, I was, I, if I don't know why. Again, I find there's a lot of drinks that it just depends on location. So rather than have a favourite drink, I'll go, like I don't drink whiskey when I'm out that much because it's such a small drink, it's very easy to drink too much whiskey. Whereas when I'm at home, I'll always, I mean, sometimes I do that. I do have a whiskey if, um, um, by the way, I might change it actually, yeah, but we'll, we'll come back to that anyway. But the uh, this is the thing is I'm a flibbity gibbet, so the decisions will change on a minute by minute basis. Fine. It's, it's um, a fluid pub. But the uh, <laughs> but that is uh, but yeah I I, I Pandaren whiskey and things like that I'll always drink when I'm at home, uh, but I won't. But I will sometimes have one whiskey in between shows. 
in, again, in Edinburgh, when I was doing four different solo shows a day, I would just sit and have that. But Woodpecker, I think, would be the perfect drink for me to have between shows because I wouldn't finish it and then I'd feel <laughs> one of my teeth and realise it had dissolved. I, I drank a lot of cider in my youth. I didn't really like beer till I was about 21. So I was, I was throughout my time at university, I was, I was drinking cider. Maybe a little bit classy. And I was on K cider quite a bit, sort of thing. Or, or, oh, God, K cider. Yeah. I remember we that used to have black this... bottle, didn't it? Oh, there used to be... Oh, when I worked in a bar on, on university campus, right, you used to have slightly oversized pint glasses. I don't know if they still do them. They're a pint glass that's a bit more than a pint. And the drink we had was... It was K cider mixed with Holston pills and a shot of vodka topped with blue bowls. Hang on. K? So a bottle of K cider. Yeah, yeah. Bottle of Holston pills, yeah, yeah. Shot of vodka, yeah, uh, and then topped with blue bowls. Did it have a name, this drink? No, and if you even if it did, you wouldn't have remembered it the next morning. <laughs> okay, it was one oh of those drinks that God. if if we had a night where everyone, you know, you, you you'd finished the the, the the it was like midnight and and someone would go tonight's the night, oh. and yeah. So it's like a sort of snake bite with added vodka and yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. and it's it's I I, I would say. It's not so much loose. I mean, in terms of, I, I would say from from naught to intense melancholy. Right. The third <laughs> oversized pint glass takes you into a place where. It, it, but then again, if if you're in a happy oh, you were state drinking of mind, several of these. Yeah, we do about. <laughs> oh three, wow. Three, yeah, and then and then because the K cider thing I remember is I remember being at a party for for a radio station that was up in Edinburgh briefly, and and it was um and there was no bottle opener, so we were all quite drunk anyway, and and we, there was a little old fireplace. Uh, metal fireplace so we just use that to knock the tops off you know like that yeah. and it was only towards the end of the evening that we realised we hadn't been knocking the tops off we'd literally been breaking the bottles <laughs> and drinking out of bro- I think it was when the first person went this one tastes a bit more of blood oh, and that's when we realised that we'd been far less uh, effectual with our wow. opening the case cider <laughs> just everyone looked around and just saw little dribbles of red oh, like Robert Smith yeah. oh. oh on the subject of a um, a uh, the the snake bite, the lager cider cocktail, if you will. Um, I was I went back to my university bar to see when well, there's a gig on recently. First time I've been there in a very long time. I thought was with some friends I went to university with. I thought, do you know what? We'll have a snake bite and black, like like we're students again. And I went and ordered this at the bar, and the man which is downstairs in the bar, and the guy was saying, "What snake bite? And what?" I said, "I said I'm black," and like he was black, black, black. Oh right, okay. And then he was saying, yeah, that's just what it is. So a snake bite now amongst the youth automatically comes with blackcurrant. Oh. Whereas before it was a set drink and then you would get that. And I know this because then I went upstairs to the gig and it was it was, uh, it was, it was Travis at Blake. It was an, old, sort of an older crowd. And at the bar there, I said, can I just get a pint of snake bite? And he said, yeah. And he came back and said, do you want blackcurrant in that? I went, yeah, isn't that... What it is, and I explained what happened downstairs. He said, "Yeah, I know." He goes, "It's because you're older." Yeah, <laughs> I didn't know whether you knew that was the way it wow. now happens. So somewhere in the last where's that twenty level? odd years, yeah, where's that level? There's been a s- switch where the black is automatically within the snake bite. I'm, it's such a pity you're watching Travis and not the Mission, because <laughs> Snake Bite and Black for, for a gig by the Mission. I think they're back on the road actually, as far as I know. The Mission. Yeah. So yeah, that's. Uh... There we go. Okay, Levelers as well. I feel that's a kind of band. That, yeah, that yeah, Levelers. Well, who, now, with. they run one of the the best festivals in the whole of the UK. If you've never been to uh, Beautiful Days. 
I've never. That's a really lovely place to drink and watch bands and just, uh, it's where I, I last saw the Stranglers when Dave Greenfield, before he died, they were absolutely pouring with rain and it came down the hardest during Always the Sun and you could see that JJ burned out. But that is a, that's a very good festival for nice drinking and where you can just turn to people and go, it's good, isn't it? You know what I mean? It doesn't matter yeah, if you don't yeah. know them. It's it's really good, beautiful Where days. is it? It's Escott Park, just outside Exeter. Okay. And I've done it a few times, in it, and it's one of my favourite gigs to do. And it's one, it's a great place to play. And then it's just one of these places where everyone, you know, everyone's just, everyone's happy in the best way. You know, it's yeah. not like, yeah, it's it's such a great, sorry, yeah, we've gone on to music now, haven't we? That's really? absolutely, yeah. absolutely fine. Basically, I know music, but nothing about film. Dan knows film, nothing about music. So between us, I say that, that's not fair to you. You know the band Squeeze. I do, yeah. Literally, <laughs> literally the only band yeah. Dan is aware of there aren't any such a rogue shout yeah. what's uh, the drunkest you've ever been uh, watching a band and then woken up the next day and gone I stage dived or <laughs> I realise now I broke my nose in the mosh pit or similar I don't know about me but I remember my friend Jack getting thrown out of a gig in Vancouver for crowd surfing to Robbie Williams which, <laughs> which you've got to be quite quite drunk I can that. understand that someone yeah. get me out yeah. of here yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, that's <laughs> totally acceptable throw me out quickest yeah. way out um, yeah so well yeah I'm, uh, most drunk. I don't know when I was, when I was a, a student I didn't really I go to a lot of gigs but I didn't really drink for whatever reason I think a lot of the time because I just buy tickets for myself because no, none of my friends wanted to go I just go without really drinking for some reason but then that, that's a change I don't know what the drunkest I've been is at a gig but well, also, you didn't have the money, did you? I mean, that's the thing, yeah. isn't it? Once you bought the ticket, there's, there was a great thinking of that bit where people go out and go, uh, what would you like to drink? What's the cheapest thing you got? Yeah. Um, yeah. There was a great venue that's no longer there now. It was called Buffs Club. It was part of the Free Fringe. And it was the grand order of antediluvian water buffaloes. Do you know about this? I have heard of them. It's, yeah, like kind yeah. of, it's like the Masons, but a little bit more open, I think. Yeah. And that it was their club, and it was the most amazing. I loved it. The bloke who ran it also loved singing Elvis. So on the last night of my gig, I said, "Bring your karaoke machine. I want my final show to end with you singing, doing an Elvis medley." <laughs> and um, and they had their drinks were so cheap. The people would go, "Oh, what's your cheapest pint?" And they go, "One pound thirty. And they go, "What's your most expensive one? One pound ninety. Oh, you know, suddenly in this environment. And then they had this fantastic jukebox, which was like eleven plays for a quid or something like that. But it was nearly all awful marching bands and stuff like that. And then a few best ofs from 1981. And so the deal was, if you decided to stay drinking there that night, everyone would have to go up there, put a quid in, and then choose 11 songs. And then the next person would have to quid, but they were not allowed to choose any of the same songs. So by the f- by the time you'd got to a fiver, some of the marching stuff that you... Because there was nothing left. Yeah. And it was just this beautiful thing of going eventually, as you heard a certain thing, you go, right, yeah, now that we're listening to uh, this marching band version of uh, the very best of Boney M, we need to leave. Time to drink We've up. reached a point. Fabulous, fabulous. Uh, terrific, terrific couple of, couple of choices there, Robin. Uh, now it's time for Dan to give us his pub quiz. Okay, phones away, put a gag on Siri, it's quiz time. Elvis's black belt was in karate. I saw it on QI. No half points for saying J.K. Rowling is the lead singer of Jamiroquai. Moira Stewart. No, I'm afraid it was Gordon Honeycomb. You were 
pub quiz fan, Robin? Well, I don't mind them, but I did a pub quiz in Plymouth once where one of the questions was, who created the fictional detective Dashiell Hammett? don't know if any of you can spot the problem with that, is that Dashiell Hammett is not a fictional detective. Now, I thought the answer could be Vim Vendors, because the filmmaker did make a partially fictionalised version of Dashiell Hammett's life, but I'd listened to the other questions and I felt it wasn't going to move towards uh, anything in terms of German new wave cinema. And it turns out that Raymond Chandler created the fictional oh, really? detective Dashiell Hammett. Yeah, um, it might have been his parents. No, and, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And, so, and then there was another question, which I'm going to ask you this, right? Who played uh, the character in the sitcom Benson? Who played Benson oh, in the TV God. sitcom Benson and also Soap? I don't know. No, no idea. I, I do I remember, remember it. Benson. Benson. Right. Yeah, he right. was a he was a butler. Well, I'll tell you what. See of... if you can guess the correct answer in this okay. pub. Then. The correct answer in the pub. Yeah, David was Jason. Bill Cosby. <laughs> oh no! The correct answer is Robert Guillaume. So I annoyingly oh, got two answers correct, which meant that I was wrong, and which made it even worse was everyone else in that pub got the correct answer. They all said Bill Cosby. Bill Cosby and Raymond Chandler. He famously was in a sitcom, but which was yeah. sounded a bit more like yeah. the name and Bill that, Cosby. That feels also that idea of... Uh, and I remember going up to the bloke who'd done the quiz... I said, you do know that's wrong. He said, it doesn't matter. It's what it says in this book. Yeah, oh, yeah. Those are the tricky ones. Yeah. So I do like them, but you I can be a stickler for accuracy. You, need, you do need a good quiz master and one who, who's bendable, I think, generally. I've, we've had a couple of rows in my quiz team now and again. We had to not go talk back to a pub for a bit once. Um, <laughs> I imagine you'd be a terrific pub quiz team member. Yeah. Right? Until sport comes along. Oh, it's a disaster. Right. In fact, my, my wife and my son love it as well, and we make quite a strong team. It's a yeah. bit like when I did um, Pointless Celebrities with Josie Long. Josie dealt with all the youth-based things, and I dealt with all the things involving elderly cricketers and David Bowie, and uh, and we, we were, you know, we were unstoppable. I mean, that- Three Pointless Answers! <laughs> what do you want? You want to know them? Alderney, uh, Aaron Darty Roy, and always crashing in the same car. There you go. Not that I've remembered that, but I have. It's funny when you get real sort of gaps in knowledge and, and all that sort of thing. I remember going on um, a stag do of a friend of ours, Mike, who's um, is very posh. I think yes. it's, it's probably the word yeah. to describe him. And, and most of his friends were as well. And there was me and um, my friend James, who were very much not. And we were playing a game, a drinking game, as it went around the table, where you had to just name things from a category, essentially. And it went around like that. And they'd be doing things like... Um, Varieties of grape from southern France or something yeah. would be like yeah. white, yeah. <laughs> but they would do these things, and then, then equally, we could just go like any footballer who's ever played for Manchester United, yeah. they'd be going Ian Rush, or like yeah. that. Yeah. it was this real sort of divide of, of, of knowledge. That, I mean, that's the key to a good quiz team, I think. Our, our quiz team is quite good because we've got someone who's very good on literature, particularly uh, sort of Bronte sisters and, and that sort of ilk. We've got someone. She's incredible on music and popular culture. I sort of cover the sport and just general. And then uh, my wife Carmen is is Romanian. Romanian. <laughs> so she's she's got some very like very good uh, answers for Latin questions, and has got just sort of odd knowledge that we just if the rest of us are stumped, you'll go, oh no, I do know that one. And it's a it's a great. I think that's the key. You don't want four people who all know about football and nothing else. Who's you the know? best at the round of? 
who is this waxwork meant to be? That's one of my favourite rounds that, ever. That will be uh, my friend Emma, Emma Clark. She'll, she'd, she'd be very good at those. I yeah, love yeah, those. Yeah. They're, they're, yeah. they're definitely my favourite. Yeah, yeah. They're always good, yeah. Um, okay, but this quiz, obviously we talked about your, you touring and working with Brian Cox. And uh, so I thought you might have got a lot of knowledge about space travel over the, oh, over the years. Now I've got a man who does that for me. Oh, okay. I count him as my science butler. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> well, this is animals in space. Oh, okay. Basically, and which reminds me of pigs in space. Yeah. It's one of my favourite Muppet sketches. Um, so, have pigs been into space? That's not the first question. I don't think, I don't they, think have. they have. No, I couldn't find any no. evidence. So, what we're going to do is, I'm going to ask three questions, but don't give me the answers because we're going to answer them in the second part of the right. podcast. So, I'll just run through these questions. Question one. What, this is hopefully fairly easy to break us in. What was the name of the dog that was the first animal to make an orbital space flight around the Earth? Number two, which insect was the first animal in space, sent into space? And in 2007, this is question three, what did cockroach hope become the first animal to do in space? Those are the three questions. Oh, they're good. Yeah. I'm only going to get one out of three, but okay. I don't mind because I'm excited by the answers. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we've talked about that, haven't we? Yeah. yeah. We're here to learn. Fabulous. Thank you, Dan, for your, for your questioning. Okay, that is it for part one of The Moon Underwater. We will have Dan's pub quiz answers in the second half, where Robin will continue building his fantasy pub. catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row dreaming of something better well hello fresh is your guilt-free dream come true baby it's me geeky palmer let's wake up those taste buds with hot juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi mm. hello fresh stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at hellofresh.com let's get this dinner party started 